Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Last year, 61 companies in the UK took part in a trial of a four-day work week. The results are in. How many of those workplaces have decided to stick with it? Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and this is Reasons Revisited. It's a weekly, fun-sized reason to be cheerful. We dig back into our five-year audio archive and brief you on a big idea that's having a moment. In this final episode of our Reasons Revisited mini-series, we are talking about the four-day week. Back in February, the results of the world's largest four-day week pilot were published. 61 companies from a range of sectors took part, from a brewery to a bank to a fish and chip shop in the six-month trial. There are a lot of different models for a four-day week, but at its heart, it means giving employees 100% of pay for 80% of the hours, in exchange for a commitment of 100% productivity. Each participating company designed a policy that worked for them, whether that was Fridays off or moving to an average of 32-hour weeks across a year. But why now? The idea of a four-day week has become more popular in recent years. Building on positive research and societal shifts driven by the pandemic, working time reduction is seen as an enticing prospect. Not only is it hoped it'll improve rates of employee well-being and retention levels, but that it'll also help tackle Britain's productivity crisis. The four-day week is starting to look like a realistic alternative to current working patterns. Here's where we're starting from. The UK works some of the longest hours in Europe, and yet we are way less productive than our European counterparts. Research has also shown that working longer hours is a serious health hazard, and with millions of working days lost each year to stress, anxiety and burnout, something needs to change. Thankfully, a five-day working week isn't set in stone. Trade unions have fought for decent working hours for centuries, and it was only in the 20th century that a two-day weekend became commonplace. But how could workplaces reducing the number of days employees work actually increase productivity? Andrew Barnes was one of the first people to pilot a four-day week, and he is such a convert that he now dedicates his time to travelling the world, proselytising the merits of a shorter work week. This is Andrew telling us what he and his employees discovered when he ran a trial at their company in New Zealand back in 2018. 
It started on a plane, and I read an article in The Economist that said that people were only productive for a couple of hours a day. And I thought, was that happening in my business? And so I literally started out with an experiment. And I said to my staff, look, we've got this wild idea. I'll pay you for five days. You only have to work for four, provided I get the same level of productivity. And uh, we trialed it for a couple of months. And what we found is that all our engagement scores went up by 40%. Our stress levels dropped by 15% and the productivity went up. And so I started to think, well, maybe there's a better way. And so we went permanent in the company on the four-day week in November 2018. Give us the, to be simplistic, give us the sort of elevator pitch. It, it works on a very simple thesis. It's what we call the 180-100 rule, 100% pay, 80% of the time, provided you get 100% productivity. It's bottom-up driven, so staff opt into the scheme. So what you're really saying to them is you only have to find 45 minutes of additional productivity right. in each of the four days so you can get a day off. Let's talk about the general election here. Boris Johnson called it a crackpot plan. What do you think we should learn from that experience? Every business, every director, every leader in the company, and my own leadership team thought I was nuts. You have to lead with the productivity side. And there is now enough evidence out there, the, the most recent being the Microsoft Japan trial, 39.9% improvement in productivity going to a four-day week. Well, You're saying to companies, this is an employee benefit that costs you absolutely nothing. And then you can move into the key social areas, which address health, education, your mental health, the environment, and gender pay. All of these things get addressed with the four-day week. So you can then have a very informed discussion. Talk to us about the climate emergency in this context. Yeah, well, if you look across most countries, emissions from transport are one of the biggest single producers of carbon emissions. If you did in the United States, that would be the equivalent of taking 10.5 million cars off the road every year. But remember, what also happens is that you don't have as much congestion. So congestion produces an awful lot of carbon emissions. It's also, by the way, a big driver of stress. What do people do with the rest of the time they have off, though? Well, actually, interestingly, all the evidence suggests they yeah. do low carbon activities as well. Most people try and eventually spend more time with the family. Yeah. I have a chap in one of my offices and he has a, a granddaughter. And what he does is he, he takes two afternoons off a week. So he walks home. He's getting fit. His granddaughter comes round and they do little chores together around the house. So again, low carbon footprint. At five o'clock, his daughter comes round and they have tea together. So that's giving a little bit of family cohesion. And when he tells the story, he cries. That's yeah. what this is about. Yeah. It is about basically changing people's lives, giving them something they can't buy and that's so important. That's why they deliver the productivity, but it fundamentally changes the lives of families and communities. The 180-100 rule that Andrew mentioned there, getting full pay, working fewer hours, but maintaining 100% productivity, must at one point have seemed like an impossible or impractical way of working. But it's not the first attempt to make huge shifts in people's work-life balance. Also from 2018, here's Kate Bell, one of Ed's former advisors, explaining why a five-day week simply isn't set in stone. 
1868 when the TUC was founded, the average working week was 62 hours, um, which is enormous. That was like working for me, basically. (laughs) 1868 and 2010 to 2015. 2015, Ed Miliband. So the eight-hour working day was a really kind of key demand for the early trade union. And when would that have... That was in the early 20th century. Yeah, and kind of the late um, 19th century. Um, It's really interesting. The first um, international labour organisation convention was actually on working hours. And the eight-hour day has got this kind of really nice history where it was eight hours for work, eight hours for leisure and eight hours for sleep. But that was hard won. And even kind of by the middle of the century, kind of around the Second World War, many, many people were still working six days a week. And you've, you've talked to the workforce about what they want to see. Absolutely. And again, if we get this productivity boom from new technology, what should we do with that? So we asked people, ideally, how many days a week would you work if you could maintain your living standards? And it's really important to say, you know, we're not suggesting that people drop their pay. And it's quite interesting, most people said four days a week. So we, you know, you might think that people just go, uh, well, I'll work one day a week, please. And it's because an people feel that's, that's realistic, they might get four days a week. I mean, there might be something in that, but you can also see some interesting stuff. Um, the CIPD, who kind of represent HR professionals, did some work. And they said the average person wants to work five hours a week less. But there was a quarter of people who wanted to be working 10 hours a week less. So somewhere between there, you get to kind of this idea that, you know, our working time could be a bit shorter. And to some extent, if you think about the changes that have happened over the last Mm. couple of decades, a a lot of things have become so much easier. People, to some extent, are some people just sort of killing time at work? Actually, we have some recent evidence saying that people are actually working more intensely than ever before. And I think one of the really interesting things about like the last wave of technology we've had is it has intensified working life. You know, you're more easily contactable when you're not at work, right. but it hasn't led to an increase in productivity. So, you know, the amount we produce per hour has flatlined for the last decade or so. So we've had this big wave of technological progress, not an increase in productivity. But what the hope is, the optimism is that the next wave of technological change will actually make us more efficient. We talked about increased productivity might enable us to reduce working hours, but maybe reducing working hours would enable us to increase productivity. Still to come, does a four-day week really work? I will tell you what think tank Autonomy learned when 61 British companies took place in the trial of the four-day week and how many of them have decided to stick with it. But before that, how do you sell the idea? Back in 2020, we spoke to researcher Rachel Kay and Will Strong about the lessons we should learn from previous attempts to implement a shorter work week. Something useful, I think, for me to learn was that people actually in a, in a country where a lot of people are really struggling to get by. Yes. Working time reduction is not their priority. It um, sounds like pie in the sky, doesn't it? If you're struggling economically, you want to be paid more. You don't want yeah. to have shorter yeah. hours, even if you keep the same wage. Um, So I think that is an an important point that actually countries that have more equality and less low paid work are going to be more receptive. Having done some reading about this recently, actually one fact which you may find fascinating or not. Do you know know why football matches are at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday? I don't. It's because of the 1850 Factory Act mandating that the factories would finish at 2pm. Is that right? Yes. And it was sort of to create... There was this thing called Saint Monday, which was basically a day off, a kind of a kind of non-mandatory anarchic day off that people would have, but they'd just be so exhausted by the end of the week. And it was partly to get rid of Saint Monday that they were given <laughs> half a day uh, on Saturdays. Anyway, that's why football. But the, the question I was going to ask, rather than that sort of historical digression, was um, the gains that were made historically were in manufacturing, and it's easy to see how. 
you go from in the pin factory making 100 pins an hour to 200 and you can raise productivity. In services, it's much more complicated. If you think about care services yeah. for elderly people, it's not about accelerating care for elderly, elderly people or doing twice as much of it yeah, in yeah, half yeah. the time. That's not what you want. Yeah, I think there is space for productivity gains, uh, but it's a bit harder to see. For example, in social care, you can use automation technologies to automate schedules for carers. And that would actually help to save a lot of time. Right. But the question is, you know, would it be enough time to actually right. make a difference, a major difference? I mean, just on terms of the lessons of the past, it was the state taking action, unions. Yeah. They're the two big drivers. Is that correct? So you need action by the state, but, but power is important too, isn't it? Mm. Power in the workplace and so on. But it seems like everyone talks in Britain about productivity falling off a cliff, but, but the working hours stopped falling even as productivity was quite high. Mm. So it feels like power in the workplace is part mm. of it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really important lesson to learn from history. Actually, it's it's really about this power balance between the employer and the employee. The moral of the story is, as, as Rachel was basically implying, yeah. is that working time was an issue way before this last election, and it's going to be an issue way into the future. Working hours was in chapter 10 of Marx's Capital. It was an issue from, from day one of industrialism, shortening the working hours and giving ourselves more time and freedom. And that's taken different forms. Of, that struggle, that, that kind of movement has taken different forms. And one election cycle is not going to end that. Will Strong there, Director of Research at Think Tank Autonomy, who published the results of a trial of the four-day week earlier this year. 3,000 workers from 61 UK companies took part, making it the world's biggest four-day week experiment to date. Here's what they found. It's good for employees' work-life balance. People working in those companies reported it was easier to balance their work with their family and social commitments, and that's good for business too. Following the pandemic, staff retention has become more difficult, and the number of employees leaving these companies dropped by 57% during the trial period. It's also beneficial for people's health and well-being. Many employees were less stressed and 71% had reduced levels of burnout at the end of the trial. Levels of anxiety, fatigue and sleep issues all decreased too. And out of those 61 companies taking part, only five of them have decided to drop the idea. 56 of those businesses found the four-day week to be such a positive experience that they've decided to continue with it. And 18 of those have already made it a permanent change. So where does this go next? The results of this trial have been remarkably positive, and many participants have expressed no desire to go back to old ways of working. 15% of employees in the trial said that no amount of money would make them go back to five days a week. No surprise there. Germany and Portugal have just announced pilot projects and in November 2022, Belgium became the first European country to legislate for an optional four-day week. However, unlike the UK-based pilot, workers would have to condense a full work week of hours into four days. While the benefits of a shorter working week are now well evidenced, it might not be an automatic solution for all companies, especially in customer-facing industries. But the overwhelmingly positive results from the trial can give us hope that there is an alternative vision for the world of work, as well as a potential solution to Britain's productivity puzzle. Your takeaway cheerful nuggets wrapped up and ready to go. Number one. The four-day week isn't about doing more work in less time for less pay. Research has now shown that reducing working hours for the same amount of pay could make people more productive across the working week. 
Two, it is clear that the four-day week makes for happier and healthier employees, with people feeling more able to balance their work with their other commitments and being able to spend more time with family and discover new interests. And three, it could be good for the country and the climate too. A four-day week would lead to a reduction in carbon emissions from transport usage. It could create up to half a million new jobs and it could lead to better levels of gender equality with the unpaid labour typically undertaken by women getting better distributed. I'll be back with Ed on Monday for a brand new episode of Reasons to be Cheerful. We'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media or through our website, cheerfulpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Lloyd and written and produced by Rachel Barmer. This has been Reasons Revisited. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.